0: Amen. Well, that is so true, is it not? Boy, I don't know. We'd be in a mess without the Lord, wouldn't we? We sure would. I am thankful that he is a present help in our time of trouble. Well, would you join me? How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building and join me on page number 321 in the Old Testament tonight? 321 or 1 Samuel chapter 2. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at one phrase of one verse that's in this chapter. And if you'll bear with me for just a moment, we'll get out of this chapter soon. This will probably be the last message out of this chapter as we continue on in the story of of Samuel. And uh, so if you'll join me there, 321, First Samuel chapter 2, and we'll look at the verse here in just a little bit. While you're turning there, today is Elijah Childers' birthday today. What about that, Elijah? And uh, he's 23, 23? Boy's gonna keep on. He's gonna catch up with me if he don't slow down some. We sure love Elijah and wish him the happy birthday today. And I pray the Lord to give him a whole lot more. Amen. He's a good boy. Praise the Lord. All right. First Samuel chapter number two. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's do this. Why don't we have prayer? Let's do something out of the ordinary. Let's have prayer, and then we'll jump right into this. All right, let's pray. Father, please bless the, the Bible, the Word of God tonight, and help us as we try to preach. And Lord, touch my mind and my thoughts and my body tonight, and just give me what I need to be a blessing and a help to the people of God. Of course, Lord, you can just, uh, your Word is the blessing, and I pray you'd bless your Word and help us tonight, please, and just speak to us in this service. And I I pray that maybe tonight somebody sitting right here or listening by radio or internet or however, whatever, God, that this, this, this promise that I want to read, this, this law, the law of God that I want to read here in just a moment would just do a work in our heart and help us and encourage us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for the last several Wednesday evenings, I guess now for several months, we've been involved and a series of messages about one of Israel's greatest leaders. And no, I'm not talking about King David as great as King David was. And I'm not talking about Solomon as great and as magnificent as his reign is. I'm not talking about Moses. I'm not talking about Joshua as great as they were. But we have been currently looking at the life of a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel was not a king. He was not uh, an emperor, but he was without doubt one of Israel's greatest leaders. In fact, Samuel was a judge. Now, in our day, when we think about a judge, we think of somebody who wears a black robe, has a, ha- a gavel in their hand, and passes judgment upon those who are found guilty, or else uh, quits those who are found innocent. But in Bible days, judges were leaders. Okay? They kind of filled in the gap between Moses and Joshua and up until the time that Israel got Uh, God herself, her kings. That period of time lasted for uh, about 350 years after the death of Joshua up until Saul became king of the nation of Israel. Well, Israel had leaders during that time, that 350-year period, but they were called judges. And without doubt, out of all the judges, and by the way, there were 15 of them, 13 in the book of Judges and 2 in the book of First Samuel. Out of the 15 of those judges, without doubt, the greatest and the most godliest of them all was this man by the name of Samuel. And oddly enough, his story begins before there was a Samuel. It all begins with a woman who would go on to become the mother of Samuel, a woman by the name of Hannah. And after years of struggling to to conceive, she finally goes up to the house of God. She promises the Lord that if he gives her as a handmaid a man-child that she will in turn give that baby, that man, that boy, back to the Lord to use as he sees fit. Well, God did and she did. And the story of Samuel begins. And in chapter 2, as we're kind of moving along through the story of Samuel, we meet another family, another judge in the nation of Israel. His name was Eli. And tragically, unlike the family of Samuel with Hannah, his family was a real mess. We saw last time that Eli's boys were unruly as well as ungodly. In fact, they were so out of control that they actually started making people dread the thoughts of having to go to the house of God. You know, normally you think of church as being a place where you kind uh, of get a little bit free, a little distance between all the junk that is going on in the world. But that was not the case in the days of Eli and his boys. They were wicked, and they were ungodly. But into that kind of atmosphere and environment comes a woman holding a little three- or four-year-old boy by the hand that she's going to drop off right there in the house of God. Now, where she lived in Ramah to where Samuel would be in Shiloh was about a 12-mile journey. By the way, I mean, there weren't greyhound buses and and jeeps that you could run 85 and a 65 and be there lickety-split. Man, it was all by foot or by camel, and it was a good day, maybe day and a half journey. And here she comes, holding that little boy by the hand, and she's going to drop him off in a place that is very wicked, and very, very ungodly. Now, if you're wondering how in the world that a mama could bring her boy into such an environment of that and just leave him in such a terrible place as that, you got to remember she had given that boy to the Lord. That boy belonged to the Lord. And although I'm sure she was crying crocodile tears, weeping, uh, maybe sobbing with the snubs, She knew one thing, the God that had answered her prayer and given her that boy would take care of him. Always remember when our children get out of our sight, they are never, ever out of God's sight. Amen. So she takes him up. And she drops him off in the house of the Lord. And last time, if you remember, we really looked at the family of Eli more than we looked at the life of Samuel. We looked at the family of Eli. Boy, we saw all that wickedness and ungodliness that was going on. And and in a way, you kind of have to blame Eli for some of the ungodliness that his boys were doing right there in the house of God. Now, again, I want to back up and say that it's not always the parents' fault for how the children turn out and I get that. You know, there are a lot of parents who do their best to put a good foundation under their children, and boy, they live the right kind of an example before them, and then those kids grow up, start making bad choices, and wind up in ruining their life, self-destructing to no fault of their parents. Maybe there's some parents sitting right here tonight, and that's your case. Maybe your kids are out tonight, God only knows where, but you did your best. Look, don't beat yourself up. Don't 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 uh, don't roll in guilt. Don't let the devil beat you up. Understand this: God is in control, and the Bible said that if we uh, bring a child up in the ways of God, and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, that they will not depart from that. Somewhere down the road, the Spirit of God is going to begin to tug on them and get them back to the place that they ought to be. However, with Eli's boys, I'm telling you, his boys were. A mess eli 's priorities were wrong, we talked about that. Verse number thirty is it no verse twenty nine God said, uh, You honor those boys above me, and any time we put our children before the lord. I mean we 're going to wind up in a mess when we do that don 't ever put anybody before the Lord in your life. Uh, his priorities were wrong, his punishment was weak. The Bible said that over in chapter three it talked about how that Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 3, uh, that Eli knew what his boys were doing. They made themselves vile. And the Bible said, but Eli restrained them not. You know, every kid needs some discipline, don't they? Every kid needs some rules, some boundaries, some uh, some lines drawn in their life. And if they step over those lines, they need to understand that there are consequences when we disobey and step over the boundaries that we have been given. And I'm afraid that in this day, that uh, man, we uh, we believe the lie of the devil that if we love our kids, we won't discipline them. But let me just say this: If you do love them, you will discipline them. And if you want to grow old with a little bit of peace in your heart and grow old gracefully, you better get a hold to your kids while they're young. I like what old Billy Sunday used to say. He said that if we'd pay more attention to our kids while they were in the high chair, we could probably do away with the electric chair. And can I just say amen to that? But his priorities were wrong. His punishment was weak, and his practice was worldly. And in a little bit, in a measure, it was Eli's fault that those boys turned out the way that they did. But here's what I want you to see tonight. Things got so bad in the family of Eli that God sent a nameless prophet to rebuke Eli for what was going on in his family. Now, jump down, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. And the Bible said there came a man of God unto Eli. So God sent a preacher by to rebuke this, old pre- this other preacher because of what he was letting go on in his family. But what I want you to see tonight, and this is the message, is right in the midst of this rebuke, There is a great promise that God makes to us all, a great, great promise. You know our Bible is a book of promises, is it not? I've never counted them, but somebody once said that there are over 33,000 promises made in the Bible. Now, I don't know about that, but I do know about this. All the promises that are made in the Bible fall into one of two categories, You see, all the promises in the Bible is either an unconditional promise or it is a conditional promise. Every promise that God makes in the Bible falls into one of those two categories. Mark her down. It is either an unconditional promise. God said, I promise you this is going to happen and there are no conditions attached. There's nothing that's got to be met to make this happen. I just promise you, this is going to happen. That's an unconditional promise. You know, probably a a good example of an unconditional promise would be this one right here. Look up on the screens. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, there are no conditions that have to be met with that. Once you and I become a child of God, God just says, I just want to tell you, from here on out, You'll never, ever be without me. I'll always, always be there for you. That is an unconditional promise. God, you don't have to worry about it. What's the old saying? Whether you're, well, I hope I get this right. Whether you're you're sitting in a clinic, struggling in a conflict, or standing in a cemetery, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. God's always going to be with you. I mean, that's an unconditional promise. I mean, don't worry about it. God's there somewhere. When you and I, and I haven't had to do this in a while, probably now that I'm talking about it, I'll have to do it maybe tomorrow night. But uh, I've never had to be rolled through the metal doors and back behind the metal doors into an operating room and have some kind of serious and major surgery. I've never had that done before. I've been with a lot of people who have had that done. I've been with families when a loved one was being taken off to surgery and, and uh, the guy rolling the bed, you know how they do that, the guy rolling the bed, said, okay, as far as you can go, you have to say your goodbyes right here. But aren't you glad when the family, they can't go behind the metal door? But aren't you glad God's not constrained by the metal doors? No, sir. I mean, he's always there with us. I mean, in the blackest of midnight, in the the most difficult of storm, in the most difficult problems of our life, always remember God is right there. There's a verse back in 1 Kings 8 verse 12 that says, the Bible said this, God hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I don't care how dark the night may be, God is always going to be there with you. That is an unconditional Promise, But then there are some promises in the Bible that are made to us that God says, okay, now I'm going to promise you this based upon the fact that you meet certain conditions. We call those conditional promises. For instance, here is a great promise, and we love this promise right here. It goes like this. Saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, we like that, don't you? I don't know all that God means by that, but I mean, I'm just thinking about this. God's going to open up the windows of heaven. He's going to pour out a blessing upon me that is so big, so massive, so mighty, that, uh, that uh, there's not even going to be enough room to receive it. Boy, I like that, don't you? That is a. By the way, that is a promise from God that God's going to do that based upon the fact that we do this right here. The first part of the verse says this, Bring ye all the tithes. Dropped that net on you, didn't I? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, God said, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour blessing out upon you that's so big you're not going to be able to receive it if... You bring your tithe into the storehouse. That would be an example then of a conditional promise. Here's one just off the top of my head. says this, I will heal their land. Let me, uh, boy. I'll heal their land. I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. Now, I like that. But the first part of that promise is if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their way. There again, that's a conditional promise. If, then. God said, if you will, I will. How many of you are with me on that? So every promise in the Bible is either an unconditional promise or a conditional promise. Now, I've said all that to say this. I want you to see a conditional promise made in this this story tonight. So look with me, if you will, at uh, verse number 30, and here is the promise right in the middle of the verse. And it says this, Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. Honor. Now, I've got to tell you something. That's a conditional promise. God said, I'm going to honor you if you honor me. Now, again, that's one of those conditional promises. But I, I know one thing. I want God to honor me. I really do. But if God's going to honor me, then I've got to be involved, actively involved in honoring him. So this nameless man of God comes up to Eli and he says, man, you got problems in your house. God's chosen you to be the priest uh, in the land of Israel. God's chosen you to do all of this. But man, you put your boys before you, you put me. And don't you know that if you honor me, I will honor you. Now, boy, that is a great promise. I wish somehow we could get a hold of that promise tonight. Boy, if we honor God, if we'll set out in our life to honor God, that God will in turn honor us. And I'm going to tell you something. The honor of God is something you can't buy at Walmart. The honor of God is something you can't put a price tag on. The honor of God is something that all of us ought to want to have in our life. We all ought to want God to honor us. But if he's going to do that, then we've got to, first of all, honor him. Honor him. So what I want to do tonight, I want you to look at that promise now. For them that honor me, I will honor. And by the way, here's the rest of it. And they that despise me shall be lightly. Boy, I don't know all that's involved in that, but I don't like the sound of that. Do you? Being lightly esteemed by God, boy, I don't like the sound of that. But I do like the sound of this. Them that honor me, I will honor. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to take that promise I want to break it down for just a moment. Let's talk about it. First of all, let me talk a little bit of, in that promise, if you'll bear with me for just a moment. I want to talk about this, what God desires. What God, what the Lord desires. Now, this whole promise is built around one word, honor. You honor me, I will honor you. The word honor. Now, the one thing that I know is this, God loves honor. God longs for honor. God looks for honor. But, but what does it mean? What does it mean when the Bible said that if you honor me, I'll honor you? What does it mean to honor God? Well, here's what I did. I looked into thesaurus, and I looked up some synonyms for the word honor. And, and if you honor something, here's what you do. You recognize it. You celebrate it. You dignify it, you esteem it, you give attention to it, you you exalt it, or you elevate it. And in the Bible, you'll find out the word honor is used in both a positive and a negative sense in the Bible. Sometimes the word honor is used in a negative sense. Sometimes the word honor is used in a positive sense. But when it's used in the negative sense, it, it means this. It means to bring great heaviness or grief That word honor means that. You know, just as a a wayward child brings great heaviness and grief to the heart of their parents, so a wayward child of God brings great heaviness and sorrow and grief to the heart of their heavenly father. I, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be one of God's child that brings great heaviness and sorrow and grief to the heart of God. There are too many of us, and I said us, too many of us that are running around and we grieve God and we cause heartache and and sorrow to the heart of God. And by the way, I've done that before. Have you? I have done that before. I know I have. Nobody has to tell me when I cause God grief. I mean, God tells me. I mean, some kind of, I got, a, I got a warning system on the inside of me and it ain't ADT neither or, or, or uh, whatever. I mean, I got a system It goes off. The bells start ringing and the lights start flashing and, and the relays start opening and closing and the sirens go off. I know when I've hurt God. I know when I've grieved the Lord. And let me just say this, I've done that too many times in my life. I don't want to live like that. But the Bible said to honor God. Negatively, it means to cause grief or pain. But in the positive sense, it means totally opposite. For instance, the word honor in the Bible is used in a lofty sense. Look at this verse right here. Now, what we've got here is a prince by the name of Balak talking to a prophet by the name of Balaam. And Balak has tried to hire Balaam this prophet to come over and curse the nation of Israel. Remember that story about the talking donkey, Mr. Ed? That's where they got Mr. Ed at. And Francis, the talking mule. That's where all that come from, from the story of Balaam. How many of y'all believe that? I got some beachfront property in King. uh, If you'll see me, it's real cheap. It's buy one, get one right now. I'll sell it to you right after church. But uh, here's, here's Balak, and he's speaking to Balaam. He said, look, come over here, curse Israel, and if you'll do that, And here's what he said. I will promote thee unto very great, and then there's the word, honor. It means Balak said uh, to Balaam, I'll give you a lofty place. I'll honor you. I'll esteem you. I'll exalt you. I'll put you above everything and everybody else in the land of Moab if you will curse Israel. So it means to give a lofty place. But it also means this. It means to give a lordly place. In the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 96, verse number 6, it says this, honor, there's that word again, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. In other words, honor is to give somebody a lordly place. They're over your life. And I think putting those two things together, what we find is this. When we give God honor, what we're doing is we're giving him a lofty place and we're giving him a lordly place in our lives. It means we esteem him. We extol him. Can I ask you something? Is your life honoring to God? Are you giving God a lofty place in your life? Are you giving God a Lordly place in your life? By the way, He is Lord. One of the most misunderstood concepts and truths of the Christian life is when you get saved, you not only are a child with a father, but you're a servant. You're a slave. You're a servant in the in it with a with a master. I know, I know that don't go over in our day at all. I understand all that, but I'm here to tell you this, friend. If you're a child of God, you're a slave, you've got a master, he's the Lord, and, and a lot of people miss that. That's the reason I say often that when you got saved, that was not only the best decision of your life, but rightly understood, that's the last decision because you got a Lord over you that makes decisions now. Not up to you whether you come to church or not. He's already made that decision for you. Watch this. It ain't up to you whether you're going to tithe Sunday morning. He's already made that decision for you. It ain't up to you if you're gonna live right. He's already made that decision for. You. He's He's the Lord. We ought to give Him a lofty place. We ought to give Him a lordly place. That's when we honor, we honor God. By the way, where is God at in your life today? I heard about this lady went to the a yard sale, and when she was at the yard, how many of y'all do yard sales? Anybody? They, I guess they still have them in coronavirus. Days, I guess they still have yard sales. But uh, this lady went to this yard sale, and she didn't see anything that she liked uh, uh, with the exception of a statue of Jesus. And so she went to the lady and she said, how much you want for that statue? She told her. She said, well, I'll give you this. And they finagled back and forth. And she bought the statue of Jesus. You know, what somebody thinks Jesus looks like. And so, they, uh, so she carries it home. And she said, well, I've got to find a special place for this statue of Jesus. So she carries it home. First place she puts it is on the coffee table in the living room. She left it there a few days. She didn't like it. She picked it up. And she moved it. She put it over the mantel in the, in the, in the den, put it on the mantel there, and she left it there a few days. She didn't like it. And the next day, she took it in the kitchen, and she put it up on the hutch. She put it up there and left it there a few days, and, and, uh, and then she took it out. And she put it, she put, it out and, put it out in her bedroom on the dresser where she'd see it, and her little daughter was sitting there eating breakfast one morning. She got to noticing how that every few days that statue was here and there, and she just looked at her mama one morning while she was eating breakfast She said, Mama, where are you going to put Jesus? at today? And maybe that is a good question. Where are we going to put Jesus at today? Because to honor him means to give him a lofty place. To honor him means to give him a lordly place in your life. Let me show you a convicting question. Look at this. Boy, it's convicting. Look at this. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's my honor? I wonder if God looks at our lives tonight and say, wait a minute now, I'm your father. My son died for you. I loved you so much I let my son come into that world and be treated the way he was treated. All because I loved you. I'm your father. You've accepted my son. You're into my family and I'm your father. But where's my honor? I mean, you've got so many other things in front of me. You, you, give, you give so much attention to everything else but me. I mean, you, you listen to other voices. You make your own decisions. You don't let me call the shot. You don't let me make the decisions for you. If I'm your father, where's, where's my honor? What God desires, God desires honor. Number two, notice this, not only what God desires, but can I say this, what God deserves is honor. You know, the least we can do is to honor God. I like what Paul called it over in Romans 12, 1, when he said it's our reasonable service. It's the least we can do to give honor and to live lives that are honoring to the Lord, to give him our very, our very best Here in this story, we see a lady. Her name is Hannah who gave the Lord her very best. She honored the Lord by what she gave the Lord. You know, she said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him him back to to you. And she did that. She turned right around after God gave her a son and she gave that son back to the Lord. Now, we would have understood it and probably would have have, uh, smiled at it if, if Hannah would have brought a bullock up there to the house of God. I mean, God, you give me a son, here's your bullock. I mean, we would understand it if if Hannah uh, would have maybe brought a servant up there and said, Lord, uh, I've decided to keep my son, but here's a servant. We'd say, boy, she's a good Christian, ain't she? But Hannah was not content to do that. I mean, Hannah was willing to give God the most precious thing that she had in her life. God had done for her what she needed for him to do. God had helped her. God had brought life out of her deadness. God had brought hope out of her hopelessness. God had brought delight out of her despair. And, buddy, she would honor God by giving God something that she loved, something that she treasured, her little boy. By the way, come up here, let me tell you this. At this time, she didn't have no other ones. I mean, I know she's going to have five other children, at least five other children, because the Bible said she had sons and daughters. And I get all that. She's going to have more children. But right now, in our text, she didn't have the other children. She couldn't say, "Well, Lord, here's one. I got four more. I've got I, I can I can love on. Here's one, Lord. I got five more. I can." Love. I mean, there was no other. So when she went up there with that little boy holding his hand and walked up there to the house of God and left that little boy standing there with a little knapsack on his shoulder, a few peanut butter sandwiches in the in the sack. I'm telling you, she was given God honor. You know why? Because God had honored her. She would now honor the Lord. You know, too many times we want to bring God what we want to bring him. Too many times we want to bring God whatever's left over in our lives. I think God deserves our best. I really think the Lord deserves our, our best. You see, God not only desires honor, but God deserves honor as well. By the way, if you want a good reason to honor God, let me give you a good reason to honor God. Look back at verse 8 of chapter 2. Here's a good reason to honor God. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he had set the world upon you. may tell you a good reason to honor God because God saved you by his grace. God lifted you up out of the dung heap of sin. God brought you up out of the dust. There we were, poor beggars, without anything to offer a holy God. And God passed by and God came to where we were and God reached down and God caused us as beggars. Now sets us among princes and one day we're going to inherit the throne of his glory. Hey, I'm telling He deserves our honor because of what he's done for us, friend. So God desires honor. What God desires, what God deserves. But I want you to see in our text what God declares. Look in this text. Here's what God declares. Them that honor me, I will honor. You know, there's certain laws that we go by in this land. I, I, I say laws. They're just laws. Could I call them laws of nature? You know, one of the laws of nature would have to be the one that we call the law of gravity. You know, what goes up must come down. Not, not might, but must. Whatever goes up is going to come down. That's the law of gravity. You say, I don't believe that. Well, here, why don't you do this, then? Why don't you get in your car and drive downtown? and go into the Wachovia building. I don't even think it's even called that anymore. The Wachovia building downtown for many years was the second tallest building in the, in the whole state of North Carolina. It's 410 feet tall. It's kind of leaning. Have you ever noticed that? It's kind of leaning. Don't, don't get under it. It's 410 feet tall. It's got 29 stories to it. So if you don't believe in the law of gravity, won't you do this? Won't you go up get in the elevator and go up to the 29th floor, find you the nearest window, open it up and step out? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. The law of gravity is going to take hold of you. You know, you may think you can fly, but the law of gravity is going to pull you down. That's a law. I mean, that's just going to happen. That's, that's a law of gravity. Can I tell you this? What we find here in verse 30 is the law of God. And the law of God simply says this, you honor me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor you. That's a promise. That is a law, a binding law of God. No money back guarantee needed. It will come true each and every time God says you honor me, you esteem me, you recognize me. You exalt me. God said, you, you uh, uh, give your attention to me. God said, you put me in that lofty, lordly place in your life. God said, I'm going to turn right around, and I'm going to honor you. Now, I'm done, but I want you to look at this. Think with me about this. All throughout the Bible, we find this law at work. I mean, all throughout the Bible, people in the Bible that honored God Boy, God turned around and honored them. I I think about the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph honored God. When Potiphar's wife, I mean after he'd been treated so bad, and then Potiphar's wife grabs him by the coat, starts trying to drag him off toward the bedroom, and he leaves his coat in her hand and runs out of the house. And And over the next chapter, he said, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he was doing? He was honoring God. He said, man, this is not right. This is not God's plan for my life. This is not God's will. I'm not about to do this. I'll run. I'll bear the reproach. I'll honor God. And he spent two full years in prison over a crime, for a crime that he did not commit. But he honored God. I mean, even while he's in prison, he's interpreting dreams. He's honoring God. And guess what happened? God turned around. And it didn't but just a chapter two over. We find Joseph no longer in prison. He's out of those striped clothes. He's no longer got chains and a number on his back and chains around his feet. He's no longer got a chain, uh, you know, chains, uh, 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 dragging that ball and chain around. No, sir, he's riding in the chariot of Pharaoh in Egypt. And everybody, when he rides by, falls down and bows to Joseph. What happened? Joseph honored God. God honored Joseph. I, I think about Daniel. Daniel honored God. He wouldn't partake of the king's meat of which they ate or the wine of which they drank. He wouldn't do that. And the Bible said when he wouldn't do that, guess what? I mean, just a few chapters over, guess what? I mean, man, he's, he's the, he's the, there's three vice presidents over the land of, of, uh, of Persia and he's the number one vice president over the whole land of Persia. Guess what? He honored God. God honored him. I mean, you stop and think about it. All through the Bible, those kind of stories are found throughout the Bible. Somebody esteemed, exalted. Somebody put God in a lofty place, in a lordly place of their life, and God turned around, and, buddy, God honored them. God lifted them up. God exalted By the way, the greatest example is the Lord Jesus himself. He came into this world, and on one occasion, Jesus said this, I do always those things which please my Father. Jesus said, while I've been down here for 33 years, I've honored the Lord. You say, yeah, but preacher, he got killed for it. You're right, but he rose again the third day. And the Bible said that God gave him a name above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to What happened? Jesus honored God, and God honored Jesus. And I'm just trying to tell you tonight, God is no respecter of persons. And if we, in our life, if we'll become actively engaged in honoring God, you say, Preacher, I I, I need something tonight. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, Boy, I just, I need something. Well, why don't you quit looking for what you need and get involved in honoring God and let God give you what you need and honor you? Amen? The old saying is, stop looking for the right person, just be the right person, and the right person will come looking for you. Honor God. If our churches would get back to that place honoring God, lifting Him up, exalting Him, extolling Him, giving Him the lofty place, the Lordly place, if we'd get involved in that, I wonder what God would do for us. Amen. So whatever you need tonight, claim that promise. God, I'm going to set my life. The compass of my life is going to be with the needle pointing towards you. I am going to honor you. You need a new job. Honor God. You say, Preacher, my finances stink. Honor God. You say, Preacher, my life's a mess. Honor God. You say, Preacher, I need this. Honor God. Whatever you need. Hey, if we'll just get actively engaged in honoring him, God said, I'll turn it around and I'll honor you. That's a mean pro- how many of y'all believe that promise. That is a promise from God. You say, I, I, want, I need this. I, I want that. Whatever. Honor God. And God will honor you. Can I have an Amen? amen. Hannah honored the Lord. God amen. honored Hannah. And that's just the way it's going to be. So if we're going to and by the way, look at verse 30. The end result of that is well, is true as well. They that despise me. Look in the Bible at those who despise God. I couldn't help but think when I read that promise, I thought about old Herod over in Acts chapter 12 when he set himself up to be God. Boy, did God lightly esteem him. You say, what happened? God opened him up and the maggots came out. Man, I don't like that. I I, I want to be caught up in the first part of that verse, not the last part of that verse. Can I have an amen? Where are you living at? Are you living in the first sentence? Or are you living in the, last, the first promise or the last promise? I don't want to live in that last promise. I want to honor God. Y'all pray for me. i got a long way to go, but I'm shooting at that. Shoot at nothing. You'll hit it every time. Why don't we shoot at that? Let's get up every day and let's say, God, I want to honor you today. I want to give you the lofty place. I want to give you the lordly place. I want to honor you. And at the end of life or sometime along the way of life, God will honor you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father,